0: For our non-Asian allies and friends and colleagues, I think the number one thing is if, if you see someone being mistreated, whether it be in a small way or in a big way, do something about it, say something about it. We need more people speaking out against the hate and speaking for inclusion. The bamboo ceiling that you had mentioned, right, it's, you know, we can get to a certain level. It's kind of similar to the glass ceiling, but for us it's called the bamboo ceiling. But we can't quite get into that leadership level. And it's because of people's mental model of what a leader looks like, sounds like, and acts like. And that is different from the stereotypes that people have about Asians. our non-Asian allies and friends and colleagues, I think the number one thing is if, if you see someone being mistreated, whether it be in a small way or in a big way, do something about it, say something about it. We need more people speaking out against the hate and speaking for inclusion.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women. I'm Ann Doyle.
2: And I'm Dana Harvey, coming to you from the Motor City Women's Studios in Detroit, Michigan.
1: We're tackling a tough but very important topic this morning, the growing fear among Asian Americans about escalating hate and even random violent attacks. Unfortunately, racism against Americans of Asian descent is not new. It has a long history in the United States, going back to the discrimination faced by Chinese workers who built our railroads in the 1800s, and the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. And now, anti-Asian hate crimes have risen sharply during the pandemic, often triggered by people falsely blaming Asian Americans for spreading the coronavirus, which is now stirring a lot of new fear, Dana.
2: Yeah. And this spring, actually, as we know, a man went on a shooting rampage at three spas in Atlanta, Georgia, murdering eight people, including six women of Asian descent. Some of the most blatant and stunning attacks were seen by millions on social media, including the attack in New York City on a 65-year-old Filipino woman who was simply, just simply walking to church. She suffered A broken pelvis when a stranger violently knocked her down and kicked her while yelling, You don't belong here.
1: And millions saw that on social media, sparking incredible outrage. And we have with us today two very impressive guests joining us who both have personally experienced this growing anti Asian undercurrent. And they're also working to help tackle this disturbing trend. And one of our guests is the daughter of Vilma Carey, the 65-year-old woman who was attacked near Times Square simply for being Asian. Liz Carey is a second-generation Asian-American who was focused on her highly successful career as a retail merchandising director for a major global brand. But her life suddenly changed when her mother was so violently attacked. And she recently founded AAP I Belong, a website to share stories and words of encouragement for those who've encountered this anti-Asian hate. And she's spending a lot of her time trying to stem this really disturbing tide. So welcome, Liz.
3: Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here with the with you amazing women. I'm, I'm really honored and thankful to have this opportunity to discuss this very serious topic that we're facing today.
2: Also joining us is Tier Sai Suzuki, an executive with EY in Dallas and a member of the Dallas Holocaust and Human Rights Museum Board. Tear spent her early childhood in refugee work camps after her family escaped the Cambodian Civil War that wiped out 25% of her country's population. She arrived in the US at nine years old speaking no English, but most recently, Tierra has been featured in former President George W. Bush's new book, Out of Many One, Portrait of America's Immigrants. Welcome here. Thank
0: you, Dana, and thank you, Anne. Thank you so much for giving us the platform and the forum to join you in this conversation.
1: Well, both of you are on the front lines of this, which is an unfortunate place to be in terms of the personal experiences you've had. And Liz, uh, let's just start by asking, how is your mother doing?
3: With all things considered, she is doing well. You know, we are working on trying to get her back to a full recovery, hopefully in the future. Physically, we see the progress each day, so that's exciting and encouraging. Mentally, we're just starting to tackle that issue as we've gone outside together slowly and bringing her back into the world. I can feel her nervousness, and I can feel her looking around at her surroundings and just kind of clenching onto my arm as we walk through the streets. So it will take some time. But at least the physical side is healing as planned and the emotional side is just such a larger topic that I think everyone has to start to grapple with these days.
1: You know, you and I talked a little bit before this podcast and you told me that initially you didn't realize that this was actually an intentional attack on your mother. I mean, it's bad enough to know that your one of your parents is seriously injured in the hospital. But how did you feel? when you then discovered, and how did you discover it, that this was an intentional attack on your mother?
3: Well, I rushed to the hospital where I met her after she told me that someone had attacked her. And I guess at first it didn't even click in my head. You know, it's New York City. I've had someone try to steal my purse in the past. I thought maybe it was just someone on the street trying to take her bag or, you know, just I would have never imagined it was based on Her racial features. But once I got to the hospital and she started to recant her story, I definitely saw the interest that was sparked in the police department. And then they brought in the hate hate crimes task force unit. And I think that's where everything became a little bit more serious, where we were then handed to another section of NYPD because of the comments that my mom so clearly remembered her assailant saying to
1: her. How have you been dealing with it since?
3: Oh, it's been a whirlwind. I mean, I came home that night, you know, not even thinking that this is the point I was going, I would have never imagined in a million years, that I'd be here talking about this today. I came home that night and I saw the video, a friend actually sent it to me. And since that moment, everything really changed. You know, Reporters knocking on my door. You know friends and family crying trying to see how my mom was trying to get updates you know just kind strangers following our story so it's it's been really incredible to see the outpour of love and emotion and community rise up to protect one another but yeah i I think there's no going back anymore i mean this is a part of who we are now and we're trying to harness it in a new way so it isn't just about the negative but we are working through it daily
2: so we do wanna follow up a question with Tier. So you recently wrote a powerful commentary for the Dallas Morning News entitled, I'm a survivor of Cambodia genocide. Recent violence against Asian Americans terrifies me. Would you mind sharing with our listeners what exactly
0: prompted you to write that? As you mentioned, I came to the United States as a young girl. And I remember when I first came to the United States, it was was very disorienting and very scary to come to a new country not speaking the language and my family and I not knowing anyone in in this new place. And we had to rebuild our home or rebuild our lives here. Um, And as a young child, I was often a target for racial slurs and i remember that making me feel definitely that i don't belong here and that uh, if this is not a home where people wanted me and so when with the rise of of the hate that we're seeing against people of asian descent those feelings started to come back you know the feeling of not belonging and feeling like a foreigner and but you know over the years i have developed myself as a leader in the workplace. And I've learned that we can't stay silent. And so I felt a responsibility to put my voice out there and to share how I was feeling and what my experience was like as an Asian American. And I wanted people to see the human side of what's happening in our country in terms of the divide and, and and in particular the rise in hate against people of Asian descent. I wanted I wanted them to see how I was feeling, someone that they know, particularly you know in the Dallas area and in the workplace, and I wanted to touch the hearts and minds of people. And it's not just about you know changing through uh, compliance of laws. Well, that that's also important, uh, but it's also you know, having people understand that we're we're human beings and that we have a responsibility to each other to help support one another because we all want the same things in life. And then of course my involvement with the mission of the Dallas Holocaust and Human Rights Museum, something that has been transformational for me personally. And I feel that people need to know that there are resources out there to help educate. I help people understand the importance of us living in community with one another.
1: Are you feeling a little different uh, about living in the United States right now? I mean, Tyr you referenced it a bit, but do you feel that has changed from how it was previously, let's say from two years ago or, uh, or even five years ago?
0: I'm lucky in that I have a very strong community uh, around me and people supporting me. And so, um, you know, I, I, I don't feel like things were the way that they were when I was younger in terms of not feeling like I have the support around me, so I'm lucky in that respect. At the same time, it does feel different this time in that people seem to be more explicit and louder against in terms of with the hate, and I can't help but to think, oh, what what might that person that I don't know walking down the street be thinking about about me and what might happen to me or my parents or my children so there's a rise in the level of fear of what might happen and as a result of that i'm having different kinds of conversations you know at, at the dinner table i'm you know being more care- asking my parents to be more careful when they go out and that if they didn't need to go out then maybe they shouldn't at this time it doesn't feel good it feels hurtful you know to have to live this way um, because we're, we're now in a free country, right? And uh, we should be able to feel free to conduct our lives like everybody else. But unfortunately, with this rise in,
2: in the hate and the violence, we have to be careful. Liz, what about you? I mean, you, you have very similar concerns, especially giving, given what just occurred with your mom. You know, how are you feeling about your safety and your concern for yourself and your families? um you know here in the united states
3: um you know i definitely take a double take when i walk down the street i look left right left right again and it's not just for cars or bicycles here in manhattan it's just to see um who's walking next to me who's behind me unfortunately um and also I'm very aware and conscious of the AAPI community that's next to me on the street, um, just in terms of, okay, you know, if if something happens, who's an ally, who's back Do I need to have? It's just a new thought that I've never had um, living in Manhattan all of these years. And specific to New York, I've never had this fear. Um, Definitely fears came out with COVID um, related to, of course, you know, the virus and spacing from people. And there was definitely a change in the type of person that was in the city. And there was a a general fear and need for safety um, even a year ago. But kind of this veil has almost lifted on all of these anti-Asian hate attacks and the microaggressions of many, many years. As we know, this was even before the pandemic. And now something that I had watched on the news is My life, and essentially, it it went from something I had been paying attention to, paying attention to, and reading about, and seeing on the news, and all of a sudden, it was about my mom and my situation, and here in Manhattan, where I've never really been afraid, Um, and now I definitely think about that twice. Um, My mom doesn't go outside by herself yet, and I think about all the other people that still have to commute to work um that are of Asian descent that have this fear every day as they're going through the city and um you know hoping that there'll be some changes in in the near future and that as there's greater awareness um people will stand up and and feel safer and there'll be no new protocols and uh protecting ourselves and having similar these discussions at the dinner table with our family on how we need to stay safe and just making sure that we're doing everything in our possibility to um Not be a victim, but at the end of the day, that really comes down to the people around us. So I'm hoping that, you know, Americans will see that if you're here, you're American and we have to accept one another and it's not okay to just hate someone for no apparent reason.
1: We want to get into what you both are doing in terms of to to start to help to heal and and counter this situation. But I also want to give our listeners a little sense of some of the experiences that, you know, non-Asians have no sense of. Tyr, you've talked about the bamboo ceiling. There's also the sense that I've been reading about, about some deep trauma that, you know, it's like a thousand cuts. It's not all the violent attacks. Uh, There's also the daily cuts. Can you share with us a little bit about the stereotypes maybe that Asian Americans frequently contend with in our culture?
0: One in particular that's harmful and hurtful is that um, Asian Americans are, because of the way that we look, are perpetual foreigners. And, you know, Asian-Americans have been here for generations, and so um, because we're viewed as perpetual foreigners, um, there are stereotypes like, um, you know, uh, Asians are engineers and doctors and IT people, and they are high-achieving doers, but they're not, um, they're not leaders. At the same time, Asians are seen as the model minority, meaning, um, you know, Asian Americans don't need help and they shouldn't they, they don't need to be included in the conversations about equity. And so Asian Americans get left out, you know, uh, in, in conversations like that and, and policies that um, would be helpful you know, for people who are in the Asian community who are in need. In particular for me, from a from a work standpoint, the one about that we're high achieving doers and not leaders is a cause that is important and and that I'm passionate about in terms of wanting people to understand that, you know, we may have different approaches and different leadership styles, but we are strong leaders and we're ready to take on, you know, leadership positions um, and, and leadership roles out there. And the bamboo ceiling that you had mentioned, right, it's, you know, we can get to a certain level. It's kind of similar to the glass ceiling but for us it's called the bamboo ceiling but we can't quite get into that leadership level and it's because of people's mental model of what a leader looks like sounds like and acts like and that is different from the stereotypes that people have about Asians.
3: Culturally we are a quieter group of people I and mean, I've experienced this in myself and at work as well where it's a little bit harder to speak up or even as these issues are arising it's not something that's being talked about as much it's still like the scope even though the whole world is talking about anti-Asian hate in this moment and it's wonderful to shed a light and try to fix this issue I still feel members of my community kind of shirking away and having this idea of well I, I don't want to bother anyone I'm okay and, and being quiet again and I think that's one of the biggest issues that we're dealing with is that we're trying to push this board into the light to make sure that this equality and justice is served but even from within ourselves it's it's just kind of the mentality of how you're raised of work hard you know uh, be quiet stay in your lane you know achieve and you don't really complain or you know, demand anything, especially of those outside of the API community.
2: And as you grapple with you know, those issues, those stereotypes, and then, you know, manifest those conversations publicly, you know, through yourselves, you know, that is you speaking up for yourself. What would you say to non-Asians? How could they help? What could they do to help support your cause so that you don't feel like you're alone? but that you have some support from others?
0: For our non-Asian allies and friends and colleagues, I think the number one thing is if, if you see someone being mistreated, whether it be in a small way or in a big way, do something about it. Say something about it. We need, we need more people speaking out against the hate and speaking for inclusion and speaking uh, and standing up, you know, uh, for for others, whether it be for us as Asian Americans or others who are being mistreated. So I think that's the number one thing is to, to not stay silent. And we all have to figure out a safe way uh, to do that. Obviously, don't put yourself in danger. Um, but I think um, not being silent would be some, the number one thing that I would ask of people.
1: There was a chilling example of bystanders not helping was the video example of uh, what so many people saw, Liz, in terms of the attack on your mother. The security video seen through the glass of the building where she was attacked right in front of shows the security guards actually witnessing her being attacked. And not only did they not do anything, they actually closed the door to supposedly prevent that from uh, you know coming into their building
3: yes i think that was one of the hardest parts to watch about the video it it kind of scares me because it also says a lot of like how desensitized we are at times to other uh, human violence around us where somebody would not act on it and that's why i've seen so much anger and hatred towards the doorman and the building and i i know they're getting all of the comments that the world has expressed in their frustration of seeing this video. But I did underline in my GoFundMe that there was one bystander, and I do want to take this also as an opportunity to thank that person, and I don't know who it is, it's an anonymous person that was across the street that you barely see captured in the video, but one person actually did stand up and say something to the assailant because he saw something was wrong. and. I thank that person because that's ultimately why the violence had stopped. And if that person hadn't been walking down the street and done what they'd done, I, I don't know how many more injuries my mom would have incurred. So it is incredibly important to be an upstander and not a bystander. And even if it's just walking down the street, you know, saying, hey, what are you doing? It could change everyone's life in a second.
1: And tell us about your website, because I know that you have now gotten very actively involved in what's going on
3: so i created a website called AAPI belong harnessing the words that my mom's assailant used against her that she doesn't belong here and i wanted to incorporate it so strongly with the aapi community and the idea is really something that was a light bulb from my gofundme inbox people had just been writing me prayers love support and then even sharing stories of incidents that had happened in their life or family members that had experienced similar things, not only recently, but in the 70s and the 80s coming to America. It was just this community outpour of love and support and trying to, you know, show that they've always also experienced these types of hate incidents and trying to find comfort in one another and letting me know that they were there for me. That was one of the most encouraging and motivational tools I had through the entire process with my mom I and mean, even her you know, sitting and reading some of the kind messages. It just made us feel more connected to the community and know that people really care and were very upset about what happened. And from that, I wanted to try to box that up and give it back to the world. So I created a website where the community and allies, of course, can share anonymous and confidential stories of encounters with anti-Asian hate or words of encouragement and hopefully that will be a cathartic experience on one side of releasing a lot of these hate stories that have maybe been a burden on one's heart um something that like i said we stereotypically don't share a lot of emotional things especially with you know our family or people outside of our family for sure so sometimes it's just nice to know that there's a resource where you can let that go even if it's in the smallest way and on the flip side once the stories are posted you know, the community is able to read them. And it I think it does trigger a lot of repressed memories, but it also creates a general sense of awareness that the entire community has experienced these microaggressions or violent acts, unfortunately, to a certain extent, and you're not alone. And other people have dealt with it. And it's a strength in numbers that, you know, if it happened to someone, it's happened to you, it's not okay. And if it keeps continuing and no one talks about it, it's really not okay. So together, I think by seeing these stories, it opens the dialogue and hopefully encourages people to then feel safe to report these injustices or incidents or know that it's okay to have a voice going forward.
0: And Liz, if, if I may, there are two things that you've said during this podcast that has struck me. One is at the beginning, you had said, you know, we, we don't want to be the victims here. You know, like what happened to your mom and, and how the effects of that, that has had on your family, you have a right you know, at least for a period of time to be the victim. But what you said was, we don't want to be the victim here. And I just love how you've sprung into action, you know, and, and, and kind of turn this into something that is very empowering and very inspiring for the community. And the, the thing that I love about AAP, I Belong, is that what I hear you saying is, you may not think I belong, you know, speaking to the perpetrators, but I do belong you know, so it's not about what you say, but it's about how I see myself and my place here in this country. And this is my home and I belong here. And I just absolutely love that. So thank you so much for the leadership that you've shown and uh, all the ways in which you have worked so hard to bring the community together for not only healing, but for empowerment as well.
3: Thank you so much for the kind words. I laugh with my mom because I tell her I don't want your legacy to, re- to be remembered as a woman who was attacked on the street, but I want the legacy to be about something where we can turn the light on the rest of the community. And hopefully if she, you know, she had to endure this unfortunate attack that something better can come out of it because someone having a bad day or having hatred in their heart is not going to take away from our lives. It only empowers us to do more and use it as a stepping stone. So thank you. I mean, if I didn't have incredible women to look up to in leadership roles around me. This group included, you know, it would have been a lot harder, but I've had a lot of support on the way. So it's also the community just giving me this energy to move forward.
1: I think we could end right there. Tier and Liz, if there's any one last thing you would like to say, here's your chance.
3: We want to help the AAPI community, but ultimately no one is going to help you if you don't help help yourself first. So it really is kind of a introspective conversation that one needs to have to think about how do i feel what are my stories and uh, you know what is right in this world and what is american and it needs to start from there because we can talk about it all day we can try to encourage everyone as much as possible i can talk to you know my entire reach of people but if each individual doesn't stand up on their own the bunch falls apart
0: things will happen to us in life. Uh, What matters is how we respond to it. And I'm really encouraged by how uh, communities are not only waking up, but really taking some meaningful action to, to bring about change. Uh, not only the Asian communities, but also the business community is stepping up and very folk not only committed and not only having the great statements, you know, on the websites or on the walls or on in their values, but actually doing something meaningful to really you know, drive the change that they want to see, that we want to see. And I'm encouraged by, you know, the Asian Americans who are now speaking up when we did not speak up before. So I'm super encouraged about that. And thank you, Anne, and thank you, Dana, again, for for giving us the opportunity to have this conversation and, and to have others benefit from hearing this conversation as well so that together we can build a stronger, safer, more inclusive world for everybody.
1: Thank you so much, Tearsai Suzuki and Liz Carey for joining us and for the very, very important work you are both doing to raise awareness of the depth of this problem of anti-Asian American hatred, but also the full context of the need for all of us to embrace one another. I'm an Irish American, and I think the diversity is most definitely our strength as Americans. So thank you. I'm Ann Doyle.
2: And I'm Dana Harvey. As an African-American woman, you know, and, and, and listening to, you know, the difficulties that, you know, both of you have shared and experiences, there's an undercurrent of what I can relate to, but I'm pleased that you all are taking your stories and your, your instances and your situations and, and using your voice to lift those for others. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the work that you do because it, it really does help all of us.
1: So let's all go power
2: Power up. up. (laughs) Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll subscribe, share us with your network and rate us on Apple, Google or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And remember... When one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb.
2: Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll subscribe, share us with your network, and rate us on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb.